Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Darnikar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, we share a conversation with children's book author and illustrator Supriya Kerkar. Stay tuned. For kids young and old and across generations, there definitely are stories and scenes that we cling to in our minds and hearts. Children's stories and books are placeholders for us from a simpler time, but they're also reminders of moments that make us think and laugh and cry, moments of curiosity and surprise and wonder. Speaking of which, thank you all for taking a moment to listen, to share this with a friend, to subscribe and rate and leave comments about our podcast, and to follow us on social media at Dr. Abhaydandekar. So for many South Asian American children, especially those from generations past, stories and books have certainly been part of the unique experience of growing up here, embracing an identity, and blending many dualities. Uncommon, though, were stories and characters that were accurately mirroring our community and opening windows to our own diverse experiences. More recently, several authors and content creators are amplifying the South Asian American experience, and for children's book author, screenwriter, and illustrator Supriya Kerkar, the imperative of this stems from her own experience and expertise. Supriya grew up in the Midwest, was informed by a healthy dose of Hindi movies, and had planned to be an author ever since she herself was a child. While she never experienced books and stories that were synchronized with her own journey and identity, her talent and creativity are gratefully filling this important gap for a new generation of young readers. Supriya's debut children's fictional novel, titled Ahimsa, tells the story of a girl whose mom quit her job to become a freedom fighter in colonial India and won the New Visions Award, which honors a new middle grade or young adult novel by an author of color. She's written several other superb books, including The Many Colors of Harpreet Singh, American as Paneer Pie, and Strong as Fire, Fierce as Flame. This past year, her books included Bindu's Bindi and That Thing About Bollywood, both reflecting a vibrant honesty in telling very South Asian American stories of identity and expression. With many book and illustration projects forthcoming, Supriya is an active and important creator for middle grade children and parents to consider in making their reading choices. I was so grateful to share a conversation with her, and I asked her about how her motivation to create children's books was born. You know, um, I, I always think about children's books with such optimism and, you know, the ability to relate stories to our youth. But I have to ask you, did your sort of motivation and, and impetus to, to start in this, in this line and genre, was it born out of optimism or perhaps out of frustration and the gaps that perhaps exist in it as well? Yeah, it definitely came out of frustration. Um, you know, I'm sure we had a very similar childhood where we grew up not seeing ourselves in books, in TV shows, in movies, 
um, there was just this complete erasure of South Asian Americans. And um, as I grew up thinking my story didn't matter because of that. So when I look back on my story, on the stories I would write as a kid, they almost always featured a girl with yellow Crayola hair. I never touched that brown crayon except, you know, to draw a house or a tree. Um, and, and when I became an adult and tried to sell books, um, people were not buying diverse stories for a really long time, both in Hollywood and in the publishing industry. So um, I wrote my very first book that ended up being published, Ahimsa, in 2003. And I have hundreds and hundreds of rejection letters for that book. Um, this was back when rejection letters came via regular mail. mail um, right. And they would come like months later. So I'd be feeling okay about myself as a writer, like six months after sending it out. And then you'd get a rejection letter in the mail and feel bad all over again. Right. Um, halfway through the process, they switched over to emails so you could get rejections even quicker. Um, and it took 14 years before Ahimsa was published. So for 14 years, I was revising and sending it out and getting rejection letter after rejection letter until it finally was published. And uh, there's an organization in children's publishing called We Need Diverse Books that I was fortunate enough that they had done so much work before I became a traditionally published author to, um, you know, make it really clear to the publishing industry just how very important it is for every child to be able to see themselves in a book and know how much they matter. So, so yeah, it did come from um, a place of frustration, and yeah. it took over a decade to finally make it. Um, but I'm I'm glad it finally worked out, and I'm able to write these stories where kids who are South Asian and kids of all backgrounds can see themselves and see their friends and classmates in these stories. Well, and you transgress the the digital divide between snail mail rejection and, and email rejection for sure. <laughs> yes, email I rejection. did. But, I, you know, I wonder, I mean, is is the entire premise of, of writing children's stories because of the age and the, the genre itself, is it, it, for that matter, easier to just be aspirational and and optimistic about saying, hey, yes, this is a gap. I can now create an, a, a space where brown kids and, and anyone can actually appreciate those, those stories. It, is it, does it make a difference because this is the genre that, that you're writing in to be aspirational and optimistic? Yeah. I mean, every single book I write, I want it to be a mirror book for somebody and a sliding glass door for somebody. So that's the work of Dr. Rudine Sim Bishops. And um, she came up with this concept that when, when talking about just how vitally important it is that every child gets to see themselves in a story, that books can be windows. So windows into another world. Books can be mirror books where kids finally get to see themselves and recognize their story and their importance in the world and see themselves as heroes, which is really important for their confidence. And um, books can be sliding glass doors. So if you're reading about someone whose background is different from yours, when that window book you know, turns into a sliding glass door, you can enter that threshold and cross it and really feel empathy for someone. And that helps kids to grow up being inclusive adults who have empathy for others and who are kind and know that there's space for everybody and, and respect people of all different backgrounds and traditions. So um, every book I write, I want it to be a mirror book for somebody and a sliding glass door for somebody. And I want to make sure that 
kids have the stories that we didn't grow up getting to read and that um, kids who look like us know that they are heroes and they are worthy and their traditions and culture and religions and languages all matter and are things to be proud of. Um, even when you live in a community where maybe um, people don't look like you. Do you think that when we were growing up and in that sort of era where this was a void and a gap, and by the way, I love that an analogy, that sort of ability to say this is both a mirror and a sliding glass door. When we were growing up and there weren't books that were written either about or for people like us and, and mirroring that for us. But do you think that at, at that point, those books just... The reasoning behind it was, you know, hopefully that they they just weren't going to sell as opposed to that people didn't care. Um, well, I think so in publishing, I think as as much as we want to do wonderful things for kids, um, you know, publishers also need to make make that money. So they do need those books to sell. And I think the thinking in the 80s and 90s and 70s was that, um, you know, kind of that it doesn't matter. It's not a story that anyone needs mm-hmm. to see or hear. And um, there won't be demand for it. I mean, even even recent, just recently, people are are shocked in Hollywood to see that Asian movies can can make a lot of money and that there is an audience for it. You know, so so it's still it's still something that um, there's a struggle with. Um, but yeah. I, I remember I really remember the impact of not seeing myself in a book. Um, when I was in third grade, our teacher read us The Secret Garden. And I think we watched the movie as well. And I remember sitting up taller and finally feeling seen um, when I realized that there are Indian characters in that book. Yeah. And um, and then I quickly realized they're not even thought of as human. They're just there to serve the main character who's a colonizer in their land. Yeah. Um, and so when I looked back on that feeling, I, I mean, I remember just wanting to sort of disappear, like sort of I, like, will there be a sinkhole that can just swallow me up and my desk, please, you know, because it was so mortifying to think that your classmates are hearing this. And then it's sort of reinforcing what some people might be thinking that that you are less than. So as an adult, when I thought back on that story, I really wanted to challenge who we center in so-called classics. Um, and so I wrote the book Strongest Fire, Fiercest Flame, which takes place in a period of colonization and in the 1800s in India. And I really wanted to show the true brutalities of colonization. And even though that's a story that takes place in India and is so very specifically South Asian, it's a story that any reader can use to think about who's being centered and who's being erased in American history and what we learn in social studies in school. Um, and, and in stories we hear from around the world, um, through our, you know, through an American white male lens. So, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's really exciting in publishing today to be able to put these books out that really challenge the way books were when we were kids. Yeah. And and I think of, of those moments that sort of aha moment that you had when you were reading, um, secret garden and, and sort of thinking about that sinkhole, I know that for a lot of um, folks in our generations, that their parents or themselves would revert back to content that's based actually from India or, you know, either in another language or exposure to, to culture there. Now, as you said, as a sort of this renaissance or explosion in publishing and media, you know, so much of the Indian American experience is kind of a duality. Do you feel a push or even a pull, for that matter, to write or illustrate it more as a single lane 
as it becomes a little bit more of a, a convergence of those two at all? Um, I, I, I really try to honor both sides of that Indian Americanness. Um, American has been your pie. My book from last last year, 2020. So two years ago now <laughs> um, is, is about a girl who struggles with the two sides of her. There's home Leica who loves eating Indian food and watching Bollywood movies. And then there's school Leica who, um, you know, is sort of embarrassed of her culture because she lives in a town where she's the only Indian American. And it's how she's able to sort of join those two worlds and, and come to terms with loving all sides of her. Um, in that thing about Bollywood, um, so I, you know, growing up, Bollywood was my space, the only space where I saw people who look like me who were heroes and where their food was normal, where their song and, and dance was normal and where they were heroes. And it's so important to have that space where you see someone who looks like you, who's a hero. So um, that thing about Bollywood, I was able to put a lot of that love for feeling seen in those movies into it and, and honor that as part of, you know, your hyphenated identity. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Supriya Kerkar. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with children's book author and illustrator, Supriya Kerkar. Um, how much of your work, I mean, obviously it's, it's joyful and it brings so much great, you know, so many great outcomes and a lot of gratitude to those either who are reading it or for you to even write it. But how much of your work feels more like a, a responsibility? All of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so all of it is a, is a huge responsibility because I know, um, I know that sometimes one book by an Indian American author is all that there is in a classroom or in a school. And it's sometimes yeah. really easy for people to think that story is everyone's story. Um, so to counter that, I try to be as specific as possible. Like American has been your pie is about a Marathi girl. That thing about Bollywood is about a Gujarati family. So I try to make it very clear that we are diverse within our diaspora as well. And we have a, a multitude of stories. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it helps combat any of the, like you said, sort of singularity of the experience for, for the outsider, if you will, to make it more of an inside um, story in that way. How much in that way of your writing sort of has been this balance of writing for yourself and ourselves and writing, you know, for those who, who don't have that window, who, who are actually looking and, and opening that, that sliding glass door into the Indian community or into the diaspora or that Indian American experience. Is there this sort of struggle or balance or, or ease for that matter of writing to both of those folks? So once I, once I really realized that by being as specific and sort of proud of who I am as I can be in my writing, um, is, is the way to go. It, it really made that sliding glass door approach easy, easier. Um, you'll still see, you know, reviews online, um, not by the trades, but by, by readers that'll say, you know, a, gl a glossary would have been helpful here. Um, mm. and you know, I, there are plenty of context clues to understand what 
the food dish I'm describing is or what what a word in a different a language different from English is. And other than my historical fiction novels, which have glossaries because, uh, you know, sometimes the words are different than what we use now back in the 1800s and in the early 1900s. So those glossaries are there. Um, you know, more for an academic purpose, I think, for, for students studying historical fiction. But my novels do not have glossaries because you are invited into my world. Um, yeah. This is not me being othered and to the side anymore. I'm centering myself. I'm centering our stories. And you are more than welcome to come to the party. You are invited. That sliding glass door is open. Um, but it's, it's and it actually feels pretty revolutionary when you think of how we grew up to finally be able to think that I'm not in the margins. This is yeah. me. I'm centered and, and you're more than welcome. We are inclusive. You can come on in. Did that take some, some journeying for you to come to that realization, to get that confidence, to build that sort of trust in yourself? Absolutely. So I grew up in a very small town in Michigan where there weren't a lot of people who look like me. So the story of American Espanier Pie is, um, has a lot of, very autobiographical moments in it, uh, moments of microaggressions, of othering. We had a rock thrown through our window. Someone wrote, put a comb in that rat's nest and permanent marker on my locker. And nobody, no teacher, nobody took care of that. You know, it, it took a really long time to realize that I have a voice and my story matters. And I wish, I wish I was surrounded by books like these and books that so many friends of mine are writing right now to have that confidence because I see it in Indian American and South Asian American kids today. Um, but it was a journey for me because of a years and years of racial bullying. I didn't really have a voice. I was scared to speak up. And in college, I realized that my voice takes the form of my writing. And so when I go on school visits, I always make it a point to say to the kids that, you know, sometimes people are scared to speak with, you know, with their words, but there are other ways you can use your voice. Some people speak up by signing a name on a petition or through their dance or through their art or poetry or music. There's so many ways you can use your voice and your voice really matters. And it's something I think the more I say it to kids, the more I believe in it myself. Um, I think also after a certain age, you stop caring as much about <laughs> stuff. So um, that helps, you know, but it, it was definitely a journey. Well, and, you know, I think for you doubling in this, how has the role of being a parent, you know, sort of factored into some of this as well? Has it fueled that confidence? Has it made the responsibility part of it that much richer or even, you know, more pointed? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely rewarding to be able to give your kids your own books, but also so many of your friends' books and let them see themselves as heroes and fantasies and in historical fiction and in contemporary and in picture books. Um, you know, my kids inspire me. I write books that I wish I had as a kid. So I think a lot of my childhood is where I draw most of my stories from. But also, you know, one of my children came home one day from school a few years ago, and I asked if his teacher could say his name. This was at the beginning of the school year. And he said, um, he said, no. And I said, did you correct her like we practiced? And he said, what's the point? Because his teacher the year before wasn't able to say his name. Um, and so I was just so upset by that. What's the point that I sat down and I wrote a lyrical picture book about being proud of your name and the people and places that um, 
contribute to it and that you carry within that name and not mispronouncing your name for anyone else's ease and, um, you know, and taking the time to pronounce your friends' names and your classmates' names. And so that actually comes out in 2024. Um, but, but my kids, you know, inspire my work and I, it's also, um, you know, my own childhood really inspires it as well. Yeah. I'm curious, have you, have you gotten feedback uh, about how your books resonate with children or families who, who are not necessarily growing up in the U.S., growing up in, in South Asia or Fiji or the U.K. or Africa? Um, have you gotten some feedback from those folks who, who are not necessarily mirroring the experience that either your kids or, or my kids or, or we both maybe have? I have. So it, it's pretty interesting. I've heard from authors in India that um, there is it's sort of the same thing that happened here in our childhood that people just want books from America, you know, with white characters in them, because that's mm-hmm. kind of the cool thing to read. And so um, one Indian author told me that it's really difficult for her to sell her books. And she's published by a big publisher in India, but the bookstores there give prominence to the American titles that are hits and all the kids want to read those stories. Um, I'm fortunate that um, Ahimsa and Strongest Fire, Fiercest Flame are published in India um, from Scholastic India there. And I've done several school visits there pre-pandemic virtually. Um, And it was really incredible to see those kids' eyes light up and feel like heroes and see a side of history that you know, they're taught history a certain way in India about Indian history, but this was the first time they could connect to emotions and see, you know, a a girl character saving the day in um, historical times. And so it's been incredible to see that response in India. Have you gotten responses from those from the diaspora who are are growing up or or raising their families outside of India? Like I said, UK or Africa or or elsewhere across the globe? So I've gotten less of those because my books, um, many of my books are not uh, published in in Europe and Australia. So people do yeah, get yeah. them, but yeah. they're harder to um, get a hold of. I will say, strangely, American as Baneer Pie, which is a very American, Indian American <laughs> story, has resonated with people in Australia, with people in India, yeah. with people in Africa. I've gotten emails um, from people who still felt that struggle of two different cultures in a, in a diaspora setting. And um, one of the most interesting things to me was I get lots of mail from readers who are kids. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll do a school visit and then yeah. classrooms will write you. Um, but a funny thing happened with American as Paneer Pie. And I started getting lots and lots of emails from adults, adults in their 30s, 40s and 50s who told me this was their story. And this was the first time in their entire life that they had felt seen in a book, which, you know, chokes me up because, you know, it's so important to have that moment and feel seen. Well, it's great that they have that aha moment of, again, sort of seeing the mirror um, in front of them. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Supriya Kerkar. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with children's book author and illustrator, Supriya Kerkar. Your books are, are, you know, this great blend of vibrancy and almost, I feel like, sort of self-conflict resolution, you know, with, with many of the themes. Is it, I mean, whether it's Brown or My Name or, you know, the, the upcoming ones, uh, you know, in the past, the, that thing about Bollywood or even the Cobra song, is it important to write about both that sense of kind of vibrant optimism and sort of like getting to that point through conflict resolution, you know, just for that sense of realism for, for kids and, and sort of to balance the experience in some way? Yeah, absolutely. I think so, especially for middle grade novels, which is um, which doesn't mean middle school. It means third to seventh grade yeah, books yeah. that you would read in, at, at that level. And that's what my novels all are. Um, you know, there has to be a conflict of some sort. And in middle grade novels, conflict is always involving family and friends in addition to whatever the big story is. But I think yeah. it's really important to be, you know, deeply honest and um, personal. And so there are, you know, I, I don't shy away from things like racism or divorce or an illness in the family, because those are all things that kids experience. And, um, you know, if we don't show them that it's okay and that you're not, you know, weird for having these experiences and that, um, you're going to get through it, then, you know, I think we're doing a disservice to them. So it's always, I always write with honesty and, um, with wanting to cover, big topics. And, and in all of my books that are middle grade novels, my theme is always finding your voice, whether it's a fantasy, like that thing about Bollywood, where a girl who's really terrible with expressing her emotions gets this magical condition called Bollywooditis, which makes her express herself in the most obvious way possible through Bollywood song and dance numbers, or whether it's something realistic, like American is yeah. in your pie or historical, like a hymns are strong as fire, fierce as flame. It's always about finding your voice. And it's always um, there is always that optimism at the end because I want my readers to leave feeling empowered and feeling like heroes and feeling like they can change their world and that they matter. Let me ask you this, uh, you know, for, for you now going forward and thinking about the genre and sort of cultivating even more success and, and finding new areas of innovation, what are some of the blind spots in, in this field? What are some of the areas that we're still not tackling and, and as you identify those, do they become sort of like the future areas of, of inspiration and innovation for you? Yeah, I mean, I always try to think about just going back to those childhood books that I wished I, I had. Um, you know, there are so many books about um, there's there's so many kids who experience really hard things um, and it's important to address those topics. So I usually come up with an idea and then think about what else I want to say in that book. Um, as far as blind spots, I, I think it's really, well, I actually can't think of any right now. <laughs> That's kind of my blind spot. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, you know, in, in that way, understanding to you, is it in that way important for us to constantly be vigilant about what the experience is like now, as there is more of a focus on, that Indian American or South Asian diasporic experience being written about from our lens, thinking about what kind of impact this is happening on that second generation and what they're experiencing. Perhaps the blind spots are going to, you know, sort of materialize from, from their voices too. I would think, yeah, I, I would hope so and think so. Yeah. 
And then um, I wanted to ask you this. How, how do you think your work, especially given the audience, how do you think your work cultivates trust? Um, well, I, I think as an author, you're, you're there with your reader um, in their home. Um, you're there as that book is a source of comfort for some kids. Maybe their parents are fighting and they have to go into their room to block out that noise and they take your book, you know? So I, I think that trust just sort of uh, is created through those really personal moments that you get to share with the reader, even though you're not actually there <laughs> as a person. Um, and, and I think especially young readers feel safe knowing that in my stories and in my, you know, other friends who are writing these books and their stories that, um, you know, it's a safe place. It's a place where they can explore their emotions and where they can go on really dramatic journeys and know that they're going to come out of it. Okay. And they can apply that to their real life and they can come out of it feeling stronger and more confident in who they are and hopefully feeling really proud of who they are as well. Well, we're really proud of, of what you're doing and so grateful for it. Supriya, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you'll come back and join us again. Thank you so much. I had such a great time talking to you. Thanks again, Supriya. And please check out more of her work at supriyakerkar.com. A quick shout out to my son for getting his driver's permit, navigating his way through a sea of red tape, and muddling through the sociology experiment and rite of passage that's known as your first trip to the DMV. Your next gift will be to have me supervising your driving experience for several months, all for the low price of some ice cream and fatherly pride. Till next time, I'm Abhay Darnega. Hi, this is Seema Govil with Fab Life 360 and you can check out ruckusavenueradio.com for more information and for the latest on station programming and more. 